there's, it's very easy to go in and look at uh, e-commerce and go, e-commerce is dead, you know, because Facebook and blah, blah, blah. No, e-commerce isn't dead. DTC still works. Social marketing still works. Um, Shopify still works. I mean, we're, we're crushing it on Shopify. So, you know, I think there's, you know, whatever, public investors and pundits are five inches, five inches deep. We're fucking 555 feet deep in this. Welcome to Currently, the podcast that brings you the week's current events in finance, business, and technology with insight from the experts. Terry Beeman is filling in for Ryan Pallotta today, and he's talking with Enrique Abeda. Enrique is a former hedge fund manager, current financial newsletter editor, and CEO of Project M Group, LLC. Asked about the return of meme stock activity, Enrique suggests that it could indicate a speedier market recovery than many expect. He goes on to describe why this is the most target-rich environment for long-term multi-baggers that he's seen in 13 years. He also talks about the pitfalls of not having a set idea about the kind of investor you are. Enrique later talks about his e-commerce platform, Project M, and how the company is poised to drop a new small-run vinyl project that incorporates NFT and NFC technology. He explains that to be successful in e-commerce in 2022, Products need to be rarer and more differentiated than ever before. Our podcast with Enrique Abeda reminds us that exposing ourselves to how expert investors see the world can revolutionize how we invest. You'll get that same feeling when you open up the Prometheus app. At Prometheus, you can learn directly from top financial professionals and access the funds they manage more easily than ever before. Go to our website, prometheusalts.com, and get started today. And now, enjoy our talk with Enrique Abeda. Thanks for joining us, Enrique. We're glad to have you back again. It's always great to hear your insights. Um, today, I think uh, we want to start talking about Bed Bath & Beyond. Okay. Our CEO, Mike Wang, wrote an article about it that he posted on the Prometheus app. And, you know, it kind of seems like the meme stock guys are back. Do you think meme stocks are back? And what does this mean for market participants in general? Yeah, you know, look, it's very interesting. There, there's a lot of cross currents. Um, obviously, meme stock activity is back. Uh, I posted something to Twitter earlier today that said, I think it was either for the quarter or the month that um, volumes of stocks and options set a new record even bigger than the third or fourth quarter of 2020. Um, that's a pretty incredible thing to think about. Like think about how many people were sitting by, sitting there doing nothing um, and trading. And now this month in the midst of a bear market, uh, or maybe it was July, um, we had people trading more than that. Um, now part of that's just secular, but it does seem to say that, you know, that kind of activity is, is back. Um, you know, is that bullish or bearish? I mean, there's a whole crowd of people that are very much, you know, the, the market doesn't bottom until all these people are gone. I, I, don't, I, I don't, I'm not married to that um, for various reasons. Number one, if we don't go into a recession, I don't think we go into an extended bear market. So this is actually potentially a bullish sign. It means that, you know, there's still that level of, of market interest and activity and if we get to a point where the Fed at least ameliorates, which I think we might, um, then, you know, it's game back back on. You know, I don't know that it's full on uh, April, February of 2021, um, 
But uh, yeah, so I think the activity's back. Um, I don't know that it's going to reach the heights that it did before, but who the hell knows? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to reach the heights that it did. Yeah, right. I didn't, I didn't think that we would see this so soon, right? You know, I expected the meme stock guys to come back and because it seems that investing has sort of changed a little bit now that, you know, COVID happened and average people have more of an interest in it. And those names just appear on search engines or appear on Twitter in the algorithm. But definitely interesting to see it. Yeah, uh, I mean, come you, you say along with, you know, did it did it come back? I mean, I, again, it's not like the, the Nasdaq's down 50 percent or something like, you know, we didn't really stomp people out. And so the fact that it came back so quick, I, I don't know, I guess part of me says, was it ever really that gone? I mean, there's two versions of it, right? There's the version where things go from 10 to 100, um, which is kind of kind of gone. But there's, you know, these stocks still stay very elevated. Um, you know, so I, 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 again, I think it's very easy. The consensus view is to look at it and say, oh, meme activity, it's bearish and all that. I don't know that that's a case. Could be, could be actually an indication of, of, you know, like the market could recover a lot quicker than people think. So we've seen a pretty nice rally in the past couple of weeks, uh, all across markets. Uh, do you think it's a dead cap bounce or do you think that this is a more meaningful rally and we, you know, might sustain? I, I'm going to say it differently. Um, I kind of don't care. Um, I'll say this for tactical trading accounts. Um, we are in a confirmed downtrend. And until I see a hundred trailing days that the market is higher going back off a hundred trailing days, we're in a confirmed downtrend. And that 100 trailing days is, is um, you know, about four months. And if you look at any of the previous, uh, you know, bear markets, once you got past 100 days and you were actually higher than you were 100 days ago, you never looked back. Um, doesn't mean you go back into a roaring bull market. It just means that you didn't go lower. Um, we right now, you know, the low was, hold on a second, I'm pulling this up. The low was June 17th. So we are 40 to 50 trading days, we're about halfway there. And if we get to uh, whatever, August 17th, or sorry, uh, September, October 17th, and we're higher than 36, uh, you know, 36.75 on the uh, S&P, then we are out of a confirmed downtrend and we are in a consolidation phase at least. Um, that's tactically. Long-term, I could give a shit, right? You know, I, I think, yeah, and we haven't spoken in a while, but I see a ton of interesting companies that have huge TAMs that have balance sheets that mean they're not going bankrupt in any scenario whatsoever, um, that if they're not going bankrupt in a recession, they could go down 50%, but once we eventually recover with a runway of three to 10 years, they could be three to 10 baggers. I mean, most of them, by the way, if you just went back to where they were in June to November, they'd be five baggers. Now, I'm not defending where they were in June to November. I'm not saying those were the right values, obviously, because they're down 70, 80%. But I think it's a very, this is the most target rich environment for long term multi baggers that I've seen since 2009, since 2001, 2002. So, what that gets to the $64,000 question. Are we going into a recession or not? And, and does that mean that the S&P goes down another 25%? You can see that I, I kind of don't care because trading, I just short the high end of the range and long-term, I got plenty of long-term ideas. Um, I lean against it. You know, I, I think it's, I really, to me, 
unemployment or employment is the key to a recession. You know, it's one thing to have to pay 10% more for a good. It's another to not have a job to pay for a good. Those are very big, very different things. And I, I've come out and said, I think we're about to see the biggest drop of inflation in 50 years. A lot of it's just math. But, but you know, I, I, let me give you something that could really, really be crazy is, you know, the Fed has two mandates, uh, employment and uh, price stability. There's no magic to 2% for price stability. Um, 2% is actually a, an anomaly in historical context. And so what happens if inflation comes down to 4 or 5 which I don't think is a big deal. And the Fed comes and says, well, price stability could be three and a half, four. Well, now, you know, all the doomsayers are saying, well, inflation is going to be at 10 and the Fed's going to have to go to 11% Fed funds. Well, what happens if Fed funds is four and the inflation is 4.6? The Fed doesn't actually have to do jack shit. And if employment stays positive, whoa, Nelly. And guess what? Mean guys aren't gone yet. So, you know, there's a, there's a bullish scenario. So look, I guess, I guess I lean bullish. But I don't know if you're trading, I'd be fading this shit. Um, you know, if you're investing, who cares kind of thing. Right. I think you've you've said that before. That's a theme that sort of, uh, you know, runs through our talks. It's like, well, what do you do here? It's like, well, if you're a long term investor, like who gives a shit? You're dollar cost averaging. You're doing this anyway. If you're trading, you have a completely different playbook. Yeah, yeah. No, um, no. I mean, that's that's just you. You gotta you gotta decide. You gotta decide what you uh, what you are. Um, you know, what, what, what kind of investing you are. And I've talked about this before. You just don't want to be caught in the middle, right? You don't, you don't want to, uh, uh, you don't want to be, you don't want to say you're a long-term investor and then all of a sudden your trading hat gets on, right? You're either a trader or a long-term investor, or, you know, just know your methodology. Um, we always say, you know, plan the trade, trade the plan to a certain extent, you know, it's, it's know what you are and, and, and stick with it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like, I actually have a lot of, I feel like I have a lot of clarity in the markets right now. Like I have no idea whether we go into a recession or not. I just know we're tactically in a downtrend and long-term I see a lot of great ideas. So I kind of just don't care. <laughs> I love it. Um, so the next thing I wanted to talk with you about, I saw you post, uh, that Intel inked a $30 billion funding partnership with uh, Brookfield to finance chip factory expansion. And I also know you're a big proponent of globalization, but it seems that, you know, geopolitical trends are maybe um, forcing us in a different direction. How do you well, think the winds may be shifting and what no, do you think that means for market participants? I mean, I mean look, um, am I a big proponent of globalization? Sure. I'm a big proponent of um, capital flowing to where the best economic returns are. But as we've seen, economic returns are not just a factor of revenue, cogs, and operating margin. There are other factors that play a role. So I guess the point being, if you know, you've got these great returns, but then because of shipping, you can't get the product, or because of other disruptions, you don't get the products, well, then you have terrible returns, right? So it's just, I think if you fully cost out the elements of globalization that the 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 most efficient or optimal thing to do may be a surprise and i kind of end up thinking that probably the best thing to do is a little bit of all of it i mean this is sort of my energy view like i'm not against green power i'm a, but i'm super pro nuke i'm super pro oil and gas i think we should spend money on all of it you know why not and uh it, it's not so much hedging it's a little bit of hedging your bets 
but that's kind of how I feel about globalization. I feel like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's bring some stuff on shore. And, uh, you know, I think, it, I think it makes a ton of sense. I, I thought the Brookfield, the, the thing about the Brookfield deal was less about globalization. It was more about Brookfield doing an interesting asset backed, uh, situation with, um, with, uh, someone who needed capital. Huh. Could you elaborate that on a little bit? Well, no, I mean, Basically, Brookfield in some ways is acting as a private equity or venture capitalist under the guise of real estate, right? I mean, my understanding is that they're going to get, you know, uh, they're going to get, uh, they're going to get paid off the profits of the, of the plan, you know? So this is Brookfield going beyond just a real estate business into something that looks more like, uh, you know, operational private equity investing. Oh, huh. that's, that's interesting. Um, so I know you posted this on Twitter. Uh, maybe we can talk about Twitter for a little bit. Uh, you know, we saw the whistleblower come out and, uh, you know, accused Twitter of lying to Elon Musk about the bot problem. I know one of the last times we spoke, you were very uh, adamant that he cannot get out of this deal without paying a billion dollars. It's it's a tough deal to get out of. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think... Um, the contract's the contract. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to be hard pressed to, to take this and, and go there. I mean, the, from a face of it, the, the accusation seemed a little sensational. Um, I struggle. I mean, I guess I look a little bit and say, well, so what? Like, I mean, cause I think Twitter's going to come back and said, there's only so much we can do and we did everything we can do. And I think a rational person, oh, this is on the hacking and things like that. A rational person might say, okay, well, that makes sense. So yeah, I, I think he's, I, I don't, you know, I, I still, I have not seen anything from people who I respect and are a lot more educated and smarter than me. I mean, I would point to Matt Levine at Bloomberg, who I've talked about on this subject a lot. Um, he's an ex-lawyer. And the thing I like about Matt Levine is not that he's a lawyer who, who, who specializes in this, but he talks to, to fucking everyone. So like, you know, he, he doesn't, he's, he's lawyer enough and he's focused on it and he gets access to friggin' everyone. So I kind of like whatever Matt Levine says, I think is, is good. And I think I read Matt's piece on this and he said, you know, look, it's a thing, but is it enough of a thing? Probably not. Huh. Um, you want to talk about project M for a little bit? Yeah, we're kicking ass. You know, we, we closed on the vinyl plant in uh, June. Um, you know, we're ramping capacity. We ran at 50% capacity in June we're, or July. We're running at 90% in uh, August. Uh, we start dropping a really interesting vinyl project that has both NFC chips and NFTs attached to it. So it's a vinyl project, but it's, you know, like we're going to drop, um, you know, if we do a, we'll do 330 and we'll do 300 bronze, 20 silver, seven gold, and three one of ones that are gems, um, all with an NFC and an NFT chip attached to it. These will be some of the smallest ones that have ever been done in these albums. Things going to sell like crazy. And, you know, look, I think that it's um, merchandise and fandom can be fun. And, you know, just like baseball cards, I mean, look, I, there's, there's nothing fundamentally fun about sports cards. They're friggin' little pieces of paper. What's fun is the gamification of it, you know, and, and still the attachment to something that you feel a great affinity for, like the Yankees or something. Um, you know, we're sort of tapping into that, but using blockchain as a, as a, as a way to further that because we're going to do crazy rewards. So what we're going to do is if you stay registered with us and you own one of the bronzes, we're going to mint 10 coppers, which is actually 10 pieces of copper vinyl with an NFT attached. And every six months we're going to 
release a copper to one of the registered bronzes. So people, you know, I actually think we're going to build a community because we're going to get to a point where we're doing a drop a day out of Revolver. And then I think we'll get to the point where we're doing a drop a day out of Brooklyn Vegan and the hard times and Goldmine and all of it. So, uh, yeah, no, we're in good shape. I mean, the e-commerce stuff, I mean, the, you know, it's funny. I had a, a dialogue with Howard Lindzen about e-commerce. He posted something from someone that was basically just saying, you know, all the e-commerce names are suffering. I, I think that the e-commerce wave that happened uh, about five years ago was a lot of people having what I would call non-compelling product or not compelling enough product that benefited from tremendously cheap access to audience. So, you know, I even look at something like, um, what's the fucking glass company? Um, uh, what, what is it? Uh, this, the eyeglasses. Um, why can't Luxottica. I no, no, no. The eyeglass, DTC eyeglass company that went public. Okay. I just, it's the name's escaping me. Once you, once you say it, you know, I think a lot of these companies, I don't know that they had such a great product. I think they had a good product with clever marketing that then fell on top of a pipe that was momentarily advantaged. And now what's happening that they've lost that unsustainable advantage from that pipe being inexpensive, their product isn't differentiated enough to really be able to make a difference. So the reason that doesn't affect us, my product's super fucking differentiated. I'm doing 330 vinyl on an album that's never had less than a thousand and I'm going to do three one of once. My shit will sell out in five minutes. So, you know, and we're, we're all organic, but I, but it kind of gets to a bigger question about, um, uh, uh, what I'm Googling eyeglasses. Uh, what's the name of the fucking company? It's going to bother me. Um, when I say you're just a Warby Parker. Yeah, there we go. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Warby Parker. But, They're huge. But I, I, I think it's quite interesting. I think people are, I, I think again, because people aren't very sophisticated with this stuff because they don't really understand the industries. There's, it's very easy to go in and look at, uh, e-commerce and go, e-commerce is dead, you know, cause Facebook and blah, blah, blah. No, e-commerce isn't dead. DTC still works. Social marketing still works. Um, Shopify still works. I mean, we're, we're crushing it on Shopify. So, you know, I think there's, you know, whatever public investors and pundits are five inches, five inches deep. We're fucking 555 feet deep in this. So. Yeah. you got to have a really great product to sell direct to consumer on uh, on Shopify. It's, it's and also, compelling. like you said, and it's got, you got to build the community too, or at least it really helps. Right. I, I, think, I think that's community. Yes. I, it comes back to probably, but that's why I like collectibles, you know, collectibles by their definition have rarity and scarcity. So, you know, eyeglasses don't have rarity or scarcity. Right. And, 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 and you know, right. the other key to collectibles, the other key to collectibles, this is the fucking key is I buy it for X and I might be able to sell it for two X. So I'm going to tell you a stupid story. Like we went, when we, we put furniture in our house, we were, you know, this is a, 18 months ago, we went out and, um, you know, we're trying to get furniture and we were pottery barn, all this other stuff. We didn't really find that much that we loved, but the other thing, everything was like on back order for like fucking 18 months or whatever. So we went and found these vintage places, um, you know, cause we have a, a desert mid-century modern place. And the, I had three realizations. Number one, the vintage places, all the furniture is available right then. Number two, you can benefit from 50 to 100 years of design as opposed to whatever Pottery Bond put out yesterday. But number three, I'm going to blow your mind here. You buy a couch from 1974 that's selling for $10,000. Guess what? In five years, you might be able to sell it for $10,000. Like, you know, so again, I think there's a, for, with collectibles markets, there's a whole financial gamification, you know, kind of thing that I, I, I think that people don't understand. And I, I think we're entering into a period 
Um, I mean, this is speaking about vinyl and sports collectibles that, you know, I, I turn 50 tomorrow. Um, I grew up in the height of baseball cards. You know, in theory, my age group is entering into its peak, uh, you know, dumbass spending period. You know, kid, my kids are young, but people's kids are going to college and now people are sitting at home and they've got maximum income or, or you know, and, and more free time. So what are they going to do? They're going to buy stupid fucking collectibles, vinyl records. I love vinyl records and, and baseball cards. I don't, I don't think they're stupid, but they're kind of stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, um, so I, I, yeah, I think that uh, it just has to be a really compelling product. And I, I love the collectible space across the board. So you guys are putting an NFC chip in the vinyl that not on the vinyl. We're going to put on. The, we're going to put on the sleeve. So basically, what happens okay. is you can register your physical and you have your NFT. And if the NFT, the registered physical and the NFT stay partnered, you will be eligible for rewards. So that's awesome. Yeah. Man. So just that's by awesome. just by staying registered, that's a super compelling. You, you could just case. you could just wake up one day and end up with a fucking one of one or a one of ten or any number of things. You know, so we're going to have maybe five reward programs out of the gate and then we're just going to surprise people, you know, be like, oh, you're registered. And we, we took the hundred registered people that had this, like one of the registrations, one, one of the things is going to be what we call a full house. The first five people that get to a bronze, a silver, a gold, and one gem, mind you, there's only three gems. The first five people that get there are going to get one of a, a special gem pressing that's five, you know, but again, I want to say everything's tied to physical, everything. Like I do not, I, we, we will never do out of revolver icons or for these businesses, anything that's just NFT only because the NFT, the NFT is authentication. The NFT is, 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 is authentication. It's ownership, you know, but mind you, if you go off platform, right. you can do whatever the hell you want, man. You can sell your physical versus the NFT. I don't really care, but if you want to stay a part of a community and, and reap the rewards, you stay on platform. Really great idea, man. That's that's incredible. September and September, of September 5th. Stuff. I think I know what the first yeah. drop is. It's going to be a fucking, it's going to blow people's minds. Um, you know, so log in September 5th and, you know, maybe it'll be one of the, the I think it'll be 1,030 units, that one. Maybe it'll be one of the 1,030 people to get one. Uh, for our viewers, where can they uh, where can they check it out? At? So, if you just go to um, Revolver Mag, I would I would just come to Revolver uh, revolvermag.com. Uh, come to Revolver the week before, and we'll we'll have the URL up um, because we're actually doing it with a, a white label partner, so it'll be on their site. And I can't give the URL out yet, but just follow us on Revolver, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. We're everywhere. Uh, you know, we're not on that Russian one though. You know, we should get on there. <laughs> All right, you hear that, guys? Check it out on Revolver. Uh, make sure to keep your eyes out on it if you're interested in NFT or vinyl or collectibles in general. Really, really cool project. Um, you know, the NFT stuff, it's really been to me like sort of proof of concept. A lot of this stuff that's just like, you know, all digital. It's like, okay, like we understand how the ownership works. We understand maybe how to make some incentive structures now, but to see it being applied to something in real life that actually you know, gives incentives and gives like well, proof of ownership look, and look, proof of authenticity and, and, is and incredible. Look, you know, here's the thing, authenticity, ownership, like I, I don't, again, people can separate the NFT and the NFC or sorry, the NFT and the physical, but let's just come back to one thing. You stay right. in this community, you're going to get, you have the potential to get a lot of cool shit. Like, you know, who, who doesn't want a fucking one of one of an album or one of five? I mean, that's the other thing with us being vertically integrated and owning a record plan. I'm talking to a band, actually a conversation I'm going to have later today that I already have, you know, there's a band going on tour they're doing 27 dates. We may press 50. We may press 27 runs of 50. And every single date of the tour, they're going to have 50 vinyl. It'll be in a clear packaging with a sticker that has to do with that show. But each of the vinyls, there's 27 different variants. 
like that shit. Like imagine owning one of each of those, like, you know, the 2022 North American tour and you've got all 27. I mean, that's just crazy. And then eventually we attach, and we're not going to do it this round with that. We attach the NFT and NFC. So you become part of a community with that as well. And then like, we're going to have things like leaderboards, like, you know, so PSA does this in baseball cards, you know, who's the biggest fan of nine inch nails, like by who owns the most, like each, each album has a point value. You know, um, each each album has a point value. Each artist has a point value. Overall, Revolver Icons has a point value. Who's the number one? You know, this uh, Top Shot has this right. Who's got the biggest collection on Top Shot? Who's got the biggest Revolver Icons collection? Who's the biggest Nine Inch Nails fan? Who's the biggest uh, you know uh, fan of the Closer EP? Like you know, in terms of what they own and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's just fun shit. I, I definitely. Fun I had shit. I had one of the top five. I had one of the top five ranked PSA. Uh, Yankees team sets for almost all the 1970 sets for about three to four years. So, and I would go in there and I'd like, I'd go and buy, like, I spent a stupid amount of money. It was totally, totally a terrible investment. <laughs> As it turns out. Yeah, it went down since then. Well, because I was so early that I was buying PSA nines and tens when the population report was like six and I would pay $300. Now, 10 years later, the population report is like 86 and they sell for like $30. So I was just, I was too early. That was a case where I was too early, you know? Anyways, it was fun. And at the time I was making a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely sounds fun. Uh, you know, collecting, uh, vinyls that you guys are, are going to put out. I'm definitely going to check that out. It's right up my alley. I enjoy collectibles. I do a little bit of digital collecting, but I would like to, uh, you know, branch into physical. Yeah. So and this is the promise. Thank you, know, you this so is, much this is for also the, sharing your insights with us. Sorry. This is the promise of blockchain. Like, so I'll, I'll get one last thing. Everyone's like, well, yes. well, well how, this project, aren't you worried about crypto? I'm like, I give a shit about crypto. This has nothing to do with crypto. Crypto is not blockchain. Blockchain is something separate and much bigger. And, and this is the promise of it. Anyways, we went down a non-market route, but it's cool shit. No, I mean, it's, it's really cool shit and it's, it's related to markets, oh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible, cause we, you know, we talk about e-commerce, you know, it's relation to e-commerce. Yeah. Blockchain. We you know, talk about I mean, its relation uh, to th blockchain. This also eventually music IP becomes much more valuable because this. we're huge fans of IP. Like we, we have open buy recommendations on almost all the sports teams that are publicly traded for this very reason. Because I think eventually, um, in addition to globalization, where there's a billion Chinese people and a billion Indian people that don't have an NBA team, I mean, they might have an NBA team, but like, you know, I think eventually that that changes. But then you also have digital assets and things like that. And again, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh my God, the NFTs on the Denver Broncos are going to be worth a billion dollars. I'll take it, take a 20 year view. They're going to be, they're going to make a lot of money. I, I don't know exactly what it is yet. I mean, but we're figuring it out. The, the record companies get paid on everything that we do. Uh, IP holders get paid for this, you know, for this vinyl project. Yeah, it's a whole new skew. And then if, you know, you're trading the NFT, you can write into the contract that, you yeah. know, a percentage of the revenue there goes is, back to the company. Smart it's all new models. There's a smart contract that continues yes. to pay the artist for their IP. That's correct. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot of new methods for artists to get paid for what they're doing. And I, I think that's one thing that really excites people in the world of like NFT and blockchain, like the applications of it. Is that like, hey, I can make something. I don't have to deal with like, I don't really got to deal with a label if I don't want to. Like if I have a big enough following, I can release this and make money in perpetuity if people really like me and like what I do. Hey guys, I think uh, Enrique had some connection issues there, but we really enjoy 
having him on currently or decoded any of our podcasts. We love hearing his incredible, insightful thoughts on markets. If you want to check out some more incredible, insightful market thoughts from professional investors, be sure to check out the Prometheus app. Got professional investors on there having conversations that anyone can view. So if you're looking to find out you know, what's happening in the market, what are professional investors thinking, be sure to check out the app. You can go download it from the App Store right now.